Midway USA brand product designers have one straightforward goal. Develop high-quality, technically sound products and deliver them to customers at reasonable prices. If you are immersed in the shooting sports industry and pay close attention to every single detail, you know our products are built right and stand up to everyday use. Who has shooting mats and range bag systems to hunting clothing and just about everything for the outdoors? Log on and shop 24-7 with super-fast shipping. MidwayUSA.com At Midway USA, we know the AR-15 is one of the most popular rifles in modern American history. Known for its modularity and widespread use, it's often considered essential to any gun collection. The essential things you need to run an AR-15 are usually always in stock during shortages, things like magazines and 5.56 ammo. Whether you're looking to buy a new AR-15 or buy parts for your modern sporting rifle, log on and for just about everything for the outdoors, shop MidwayUSA.com. Across Fly Fishing Podcast. I'm Matthew of castingacross.com, where I explore the quarry and culture of fly fishing. Thank you for tuning in, for downloading, for listening, wherever you may be, whether you're driving or at work or doing chores around the house. Uh, thanks for bringing me along with you. Um, that being said, I would encourage you when an opportunity arises to get in front of your phone or your computer or your tablet, head over to the website castingacross.com and read what I have to say. I feel like this is a fun outlet for talking about the Korean culture of fly fishing, but uh, what I write I think is better. So uh, if you like what I have to say, then you probably will like what I have to write, so check that out. And uh, I'm able to explore a lot more uh, topics because I have three years and hundreds and hundreds of articles on there, including topics like we're going to talk about today, uh, which is the difference between wild, native, stocked fish, and what McDonald's has to do with all of those things. So uh, without further ado, talking about the difference between native wild and stock trout. Um, and I want to focus on trout especially, not because they are inherently any better than any other fish, uh, especially any other cold water fish or warm water fish or saltwater fish, but especially in this category of conservation and the language that we use when we talk about fish and conservation in Western fly fishing. Trout are absolutely the focal point, um, whether that be because of Trout Unlimited, whether that be because of the um, just this image of Western fly fishing and traditional fly fishing being a primarily trout game. Uh, trout are kind of our reference point when we talk about so many things. But this is a, a conversation you could have about bass. This is a conversation you can have about panfish. This is a conversation you could have about um, large predatory species and carp for that matter. Uh, but for the sake of this conversation, we're going to be talking about trout. Uh, second caveat, uh, there are folks that have significant more scientific and biological acumen, and historical for that matter, than I do that have written exhaustively on this. So I am not uh, positing that what I am saying here is any sort of definitive um, or last word on the subject. It's just something that I've uh, always been interested in because it, it does combine these different facets. You have fly fishing, you have history, you have biology, you have ecology, and it all comes together in what fish you are catching. And there's even a political facet to it, which we'll probably touch on later um, when it comes to what fish gets stocked where and the dollars and the interests that lie behind that. But real quick, let's define some terms. If you are fishing in the United States of America, and you are on a beautiful, uh, picturesque trout stream, 
uh, whether it be a spring creek or it be a freestone stream, whether it be in the east coast or in the mountains or on the west coast, and you uh, hook into a big, chunky, hard-fighting brown trout and you pull it in, you should never, under any circumstance, for any reason, but for satire, and even then you're probably walking on a fine line of, of, of simply being an agitator, call that a native fish. Reason being, it's not a native fish. There are no native brown trout in the United States. They were brought over primarily from the United Kingdom and from continental Europe. Native talks about a fish that's always been there. Now, again, that's a nebulous concept um, on its own, but we'll just say from a human interaction perspective. Um, I'm sure there's a, a better definition than that, but we, we can say 500 years, we can say 1,000 years, we can say 1,500 years, and there's no brown trout in the United States. A native fish is a fish that has always been there. And by always, I mean, and this might sound a little uh, human-centric, but for as long as we've known those fish, as long as we've been in that place. And I mean the, the whole human race, not just um, Western civilization, but from a human perspective, record-keeping, historical records, um, that's the fish that have been there. And so we wouldn't find brown trout in the United States. When you're on the East Coast, you can't say that you've caught a native rainbow or a native cutthroat, but you do have native brook trout, and we ought to be very, very thankful for that. The native range of the brook trout is essentially Maine down to Georgia, uh, a very, very wide swath, all of Maine, New Hampshire, Vermont, most of New York, Massachusetts, Rhode Island, Connecticut, um, and then you start getting a slimmer swath as it gets down the she uh, Shenandoah, Blue Ridge, all the way down to the Smokies, where you have it going through uh, Maryland, Virginia, West Virginia, uh, Tennessee, North Carolina, Georgia, Tennessee, and even parts of South Carolina. That would be their native range. But then you also have, and actually last episode, I made a little bit of a joke about the eastern brook trout versus the western brook trout. And this is, I think, where you, you see some of that, where you have um, actually west of the Mississippi, you do have brook trout because they are in places like um, Wisconsin and Michigan, Minnesota, and uh, of course, up into uh, Canada. But then you also have um, spots in Iowa and Illinois and the Driftless where you have an uh, environment that's conducive to brook trout. So that would be their native range. So you catch a brook trout in those areas, there's a chance it is a native fish. Now, of course, you run the risk of the fact that the native strain of brook trout, the genetic line has been broken because of overfishing, because of habitat degradation, destruction, for whatever reason. So there are brook trout in their native range, but they might actually not be native fish. Um, they have been reintroduced. And uh, the further along we've gotten, we've, we've not gotten perfect about it, but we've gotten better about it, about trying to be considerate for the uh, genetics of the native range of fish and how a, uh, a brook trout from North Georgia is very different than a brook trout from Northern Maine, um, just genetically speaking. They're both brook trout, but they have um, significant genetic differences that uh, allow them to adapt to their surroundings. So when it comes to time to reintroduce a fish that was extirpated, that was uh, basically made ex extinct, and that's not the proper terminology there, but from one watershed, um, you want to bring in a fish that's genetic uh, makeup is very similar to the fish that 
used to be in that that watershed so not one from 500 miles away but something from as close by as possible and that's something that both federal and state agencies have have sought to do so that's that's brook trout the other major species in the united states are you know of course rainbows and cutthroats and this is interesting because when we think about rainbow trouts as being ubiquitous they're everywhere it's kind of the generic trout if you're thinking of a picture of a trout, that's what you see in fly shop signs. It's what you see on resort logos um, is the rainbow trout. But the rainbow trout actually had a relatively um, small native distribution. It was uh, virtually all of California and um, Washington and Oregon, and then over a little bit to the east into um, Idaho and uh, Nevada and some, some other places like that. But of course, they've been spread everywhere. Now, the cutthroat trout we don't think of as being ubiquitous. And again, not this isn't my area of expertise, and I don't like taking a lot of notes for a 15-minute podcast. But because of tolerances, rainbow trout have really been the stars of the show for introduction into all manner of water bodies. Um, their their ability to adapt their tolerance for temperatures and food sources and whatnot has allowed them to do that. And they're relatively cheap and hardy um, and decent table fare for folks who like to do that. Whereas the cutthroat trout is actually overlaps in a lot of places. And again, you know that cutthroats and rainbows are genetically similar to each other. Um, they can they can crossbreed and uh, they are found also in the Pacific Northwest. But then these are your Rocky Mountain trout, um, whether it be in the uh, Montana uh, Idaho, Colorado, Utah, um, Wyoming, and uh, down into New Mexico and Arizona and, and over into Nevada. Um, this would have been their their native range. So these are your native fish. That's a, it, it's a pretty clear distinction, although you have some, oh, and I forgot Alaska. I can't leave Alaska out, but you have uh, rainbows and cutthroats both up into Alaska. Um, now, there's plenty of other trout to be had. I mean, you have your Dolly Vardens, and you have your bull trout, and you have even smaller subspecies and strains of rainbows and cutthroats, and even, even brook trout, and of course, brook trout or char. And I'm throwing lots of um, unsubstantiated um, names and titles and concepts out there. But all I have to say is it's not as cut and dry as this fish lived here and that fish lived there. Um, first of all, we don't have those great historical records. Secondly, we do have a little bit of wiggle room when it comes to genetics. And especially if you um, understand the way that adaptation works, um, you, you really kind of have a sliding scale for uh, rainbows and cutthroats and all of the, the various subspecies that you find within that family out west. Um, and you can make a similar case when it comes to the, uh, the east coast, and the brook trout and the char as well. But that's that's native fish. Now, wild fish, um, this is one of those uh, SAT questions. All native fish are wild, but not all wild fish are native. Here, you can catch a brown trout in a spring creek in Pennsylvania or in a free stone out west, and you can say with confidence, I have caught a wild fish. And that's because that fish was stocked a generation ago, so its parents were stocked, or it's Parents, 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 its grandparents 150 years ago were stocked in a stream or in a watershed, and that population has become wild and naturally reproducing. So that's a wild fish. Now, this is, again, where lines get blurred, where is a fish that is stocked as a fingerling, I mean, a tiny, tiny little inch-long fish that grows up doing nothing but eating insects and uh, and having to avoid predators in a wild 
situation. Is that a wild trout? I mean, you could make an argument, but I think if we have to draw a line and, and be a little bit pedantic about things, then a fish that is stocked is not wild, and a fish that is wild was not stocked. It could be the descendant of it. You could have a stocked fish that's very acclimated to a stream and for all intents and purposes looks, acts wild, but it's not technically a wild fish. And so you'll find wild rainbows out east, wild brook trout out west, wild brown trout across the country um, because they've been introduced and they have taken root. I'm not talking about the ethics of that or the best ecological practices of what that entails, but that is indeed what you find. So we've established native, we've established wild, now stocked fish. Stocked fish is probably the easiest category to point your finger at. Um, stocked fish are fish that are stocked. They're fish that either a federal, state, local, or private agency puts in a water body. Generally, these are fish, and again, maybe this is my bias talking, these are fish that are put in with the intention of being taken out for food. And that's what a lot of them are raised for. When you look at these hatcheries and they have uh, uh, thousands upon thousands of 10, 12, 14 inch fish, uh, again, it's lots and lots of rainbow trout especially, the intention is that they get caught. And so they get put in places where they can get caught. Uh, they get put in rivers that can sustain them for the spring and into early summer. And if they're not caught, they probably will have to run for their lives or um, they're going to go belly up. But that is a stocked fish. So what do these categories have to do with McDonald's? I mentioned that in the beginning. I'm sure you've met somebody who is very anti-McDonald's. They, they talk about how it's the worst thing for you, and they talk about how you, they can't imagine why anybody would eat something like that, and it's, it's just a foolish thing to eat McDonald's. On the other side of the spectrum, you have people that love McDonald's. They love its convenience, they love how easy it is, and they love, they love its taste. It's, it's, for whatever reason, it's what they grew up on, it's what they're familiar with. And then you have folks that are, I would say, probably a little more reasonable in the middle, which this is where I'd put myself, which is I have no problem with a Big Mac. I don't mind a filet of fish um, for whatever genetically engineered trapezoidal fish um, th that is. And if I'm in a pinch, if I'm in a hurry, if my kids need food right away, if I'm fishing and I don't have any food with me, then I'll stop at McDonald's and I'm not going to cry about the chemicals and the trans fats and whatever. Actually, there's trans fats anymore. But I'm not going to cry about putting that in my body because I know I'm not going to go after it all the time. But every once in a while, if it's in front of me, I'm not going to cry, especially if the McRib's on the menu. That's like opportunity to celebrate. So that's kind of the, the continuum of McDonald's. But I, I see people's attitudes towards stocked fish in a very, very similar manner. There's some people that love it. It's like, I can catch a fish that's stupid, that's going to go after whatever I throw in front of it. Awesome. I want to go for it. And you know what? If that's your thing, then great. Um, again, I would put myself in that middle category, which is if I'm, if I'm fishing and I see a big fat trout, I'm not going to say, oh, that's a stock fish. I'm not going to fish for it. There's a very good chance that I'm going to at least try to catch it. And in my mind, I know I'm not getting filet mignon. I'm not even getting a five-star gourmet burger. I'm getting a Big Mac. But it's very hard for me to not go after that when it's right in front of me. What I would say is problematic is the person who is 
very antagonistic, militantly antagonistic about folks who go after um, the McDonald's, the stocked fish. And they say that it's wrong, it's dumb, it's stupid. Now, of course, there are some qualifications to that. If they are arguing because there are stocked fish that have been put on top of a struggling native population, so carnivorous brown trout, for example, or piscivorous, more specifically, fish that eat other fish, are put into a stream that does have a wild or a native brook trout population out east that's struggling, I would say that that's not great practices by whatever body is stocking fish, and you could make the argument very, very um, reasonably that by you pursuing those fish, you are feeding into that. Um, but again, when we're talking about normal circumstances, the put-and-take put and pond or the place where there's an established population of brown trout, but then they throw rainbow trout in there to supplement them, and they're not going to compete for foodstuffs. They're not going to compete for spawning because they spawn at different times of the year. Um, they're just very, very different fish. They hold in different water, all those things. There's no reason to be uh, militant, antagonistic, to harass people on social media, to complain to people about um, what they're doing. Of course, they are different things. I mean, it is very different to fish for a wild trout or a native trout than it is from a stock trout. And although it's very exciting to catch a incredibly fat, pellet-fed fish, it, it isn't the same thing as catching a, a wild fish. But if you don't care, then go for it. Again, as long as it's not infringing upon um, what is potentially a fragile ecosystem, then, then go for it. And, and no one should uh, criticize you uh, for what you enjoy doing. Um, that, that shouldn't be a problem at all. Why does it matter? What, what the rest of it, the, the native versus the wild thing, why does it matter? The more awareness we have as anglers and hopefully as conservationists is only a good thing for our resources. It makes us informed uh, voices, regardless of how involved in the political process we want to be. If there is opportunity to voice our support for a native trout fishery and say we don't want another species being stocked on top of it, then that's worthwhile. It also, I think, adds to the appreciation of where you're fishing and, and what you're fishing for. If you know that these fish have potentially been here before European settlers came, then that's something worth seeking out. And you might have a value scale of a you know 10-inch native fish is more valuable to you than a 16-inch wild fish, which is more valuable than a 20-inch stock fish. I would say something like that's probably um, where I would put myself. And regardless of where, where you put yourself, I think there's something worth thinking through when it comes to that, about how it is different, how there are distinctions. And ultimately, what it does is it allows you to appreciate the resource and how the fish and the river and the overall ecosystem are all kind of functioning together and how you have a part to play in that and how humans have had a significant part to play in that and both for the betterment and uh, often to the detriment of the fisheries. So native, wild, stocked. Always been here, been here a long time, just got thrown in. They're different and it's worth knowing the distinction. Today's recommendation on the podcast is Ken Burns' The West. Now, this documentary is absolutely not a fly fishing-focused documentary, but what it does do is it gives some historical insight for what happened out west in the last, really, 200 years. We don't have a lot of history uh, west of the Mississippi, but this is where most of our most prestigious trout waters are. 
And so this is the backdrop, both politically, socially, culturally, ecologically, for a lot of the issues that we're still kind of working through today, whether it be habitat degradation, whether it be dam removal, um, and that's just fishing focus. There's there's much, much bigger um, cultural issues that are um, talked about in this documentary, but it's interesting whether you are from that area or you go out there to fish to kind of get that backdrop for what you're seeing, uh, for what you're experiencing, and you get it in a pretty straightforward, balanced approach. So uh, take a look at the West. Right now it's on Netflix. If not, I'm sure your public library has it, so you could uh, go literally uh, check it out there. Thanks for listening to the Casting Across Fly Fishing Podcast. Please subscribe in your favorite podcast app and rate the podcast in iTunes. Then head over to castingacross.com where you'll find more info on this podcast and three posts a week on the people, places, and things that go into the pursuit of fish. Listening to the Waypoint Podcast Network, brought to you in part by HuntStand, the number one hunting and land management app. Brave anglers search for the one they call king, but who will take his throne? Tune in to Waypoint TV's Battle for Silver, Saturday, May 18th from 12 to 6 p.m. Eastern, presented by Abyss Battery. Waypoint TV.